Can you all hear me? My husband said I have to speak up because I never speak loud enough, so as long as you can all hear me. Uh, it's lovely to be with you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, do keep them open at Genesis chapter 9. Um, I wonder if you've ever been on the brink of something new. And it's exciting, and it's beautiful, and it's fresh, and it's right there in front of you. Uh, maybe you're like me, and you get a new notebook, and you open that first page, and you're like, you almost don't want to write anything because you think, I'm going to make a mistake. Uh, or maybe you're starting a new chapter of your life, and you know that this, this is a gift to you for some reason. Well, a number of years ago, um, we had new carpets put in our house. Our boys were very little, so we'd gone away for the weekend so that the carpet fitters could get the carpets in. And we came back Sunday night, and we opened the front door, and it was just this beautiful smell of fresh new carpets, and it looked perfect, and it fitted perfectly, and there wasn't a mark on it until 11 o'clock that night, when we heard a little voice from upstairs say, I feel sick. And one of our boys was sick from the top bunk, not onto his bed, but over his bed, onto the new carpet. And Charlie and I were cleaning that carpet at midnight that night, kind of laughing to ourselves, really. Uh, we felt God was saying, listen, this is good and this is to be enjoyed you might mess up there will be marks but that doesn't mean it's all over and here in chapter 9 we have Noah and he's faced with a new world isn't he a new beginning it was the same earth as before when he stepped into the ark but as he steps out of the ark it's fresh it's clean it's been purified and renewed and God is calling Noah out to a new start from the mess and the despair of the previous years. And I, I think uh, you've looked at Genesis 1 and 2, is that right, already? Well, a lot has happened since Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 9. Adam and Eve sinned, were expelled from the garden. Cain kills his brother. And we read time and time again in those first few chapters of God's big story that he died, and he died, da, 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 and he died. It was like death was reigning over humanity, and sin had sort of enveloped the earth. The green gardens of paradise had been lost. And God, who had made it all so good, and made man so good, very good, was distraught because man had turned it all bad and broken it and every new morning since then has ushered in the cries of widows and the fracturing of families and the war we see it don't we we've prayed for it this morning there's a rumble of panic in all of creation and we, dis we see the despair and the sin around us we see this, the despair and sin in our own lives don't we and we know that there is a righteousness about God's judgment and this, this deluge, this flood that has just happened. But it always comes with a rescue. Because God has provided an ark, 
a refuge, a place of salvation. God had shut the door on Noah and he'd kept them safe. Can you imagine being in that place with the 40 days of rain and just the grayness and everything disappearing before you and you're just bobbing up and down on this vast ocean? And I wonder whether Noah sometimes thought, I wonder if God's forgotten us. But you know what? God never forgets us. God never forgets you. God instructs the rain to stop, drains the water, and he opens the door and invites Noah in to a new start, to walk on his earth again. And beginning of chapter 9, which we didn't read, the first thing God does is he blesses Noah. And then he gives them <clears throat> specific instructions of how to live in this new world. He actually echoes to Noah what he said to Adam in Genesis 1. Go out, be fruitful, fill the earth, enjoy the earth, and, and take care of the earth. And then our reading, God says something quite remarkable. Because he makes, he establishes a unilateral covenant to never again flood the earth, whatever man was going to do to it. Unilateral covenant meaning that this was going to affect God in order to keep a relationship with us and with his creation. God was not going to judge the world again with water and more than that, he was going to affect a refuge, a redemption for his world by taking the sin of our world, the sin of us into himself. He was going to become the ark, the boat the salvation. So I think Genesis 9 is about a lot about new beginnings and it's about this covenant that God has provided to his remnant. Do you know the Bible is full of God having a remnant. These were eight people who had gone into the ark that accepted God's invitation. He had kept a remnant and he provided a rescue. I wonder if you are in God's remnant in that salvation place of refuge because the door is still open for you if you're not but you don't know how long it will be open for and God puts this sign in the skies to Noah to Noah's sons and to all the generations after he specifically includes the generations I think it's the King James says for generations right down through to 2022 to you and us to you and me so the rainbow when we see it that that's a promise for us as well God is a God of new beginnings he says step out don't fear yes I'm, you're going to mess up but I'm going to make a covenant promise with you I don't know if you noticed how many were, were how many times that word covenant came into our reading it was time and time covenant 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 what is a covenant? A covenant is a promise. Actually, covenants are throughout the whole Bible. They are like the backbone of God's story. The redemptive story hangs on God's covenants. They drive the narrative forward because they reach the climax in Jesus Christ. He fulfills. He is the new covenant. God says, let's start again. I'm going to give you this covenant promise, and I'm going to set to remind you this rainbow 
in the sky, pointing to my salvation, my love, my faithfulness. And I'm going to redeem you, Noah, your sons, and did you get that? All of creation, all the creatures. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus' life and death and resurrection is for us, every generation, and all of creation. All of creation joins in the Pascal mystery, the mystery that Christ has become our boat, our ark, our salvation. And here, I think, God is inviting us in to his covenant relationship. It's like a dance of relationship that we are being invited into. And, oh, I've forgotten all of this. Oh, well done. Thank you. <laughs> She's good, isn't she? We, like, we all need her there. Um, all, all, God, God is inviting us into three very, very important relationships, I think, here that will give us full life. Who doesn't want full life? I think we all want full life, life to the full, don't we? And God says, actually, that's only found when you're connected to me. And in being connected to me, you're going to be connected to each other through the generations and to all of creation. So God is inviting you this morning to a dance of connection, of relationship. God takes the lead. We're going to mess up, but that's okay. He's going to draw you into these relationships. Oh, there they are. Covenants, the backbone of the Bible. God reaching down, promising to us. And then this dance of relationships. A covenant relationship that God is making with all the people, all the earth, all the people, and with you. You to have a covenant promised relationship with your maker. Okay, so the first covenant relationship with all the earth, the dance with creation that we have all around us. God made creation. God made it. Not us. God made it, and God made it good. And that's such an understatement, isn't it? I think the, the songs we've been singing have been fantastic. They've just been spot on. Uh, particularly that first one, indescribable. And I was thinking, you know, you can't even begin to describe creation, can you? The blues, have you seen those nature programs? The blues of the sea and the tiniest fish that you find swimming at the bottom of the ocean that no one's really going to see. God made it all so good. He could have made it all grey. He made it good. And he made it inspiring and complicated and technicolour because it reflects God's awesome beauty and cleverness and ingenuity and variety and abundance. God is an abundant God. I was reading um, some booklets that OMF, I don't know if you've heard of OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, they work in East Asia and they have actually written three booklets on this thing of creation care. Um, and they write because they're working in churches in East Asia and they're encouraging them to look after their neighbourhoods and to look after their neighbours and their neighbourhoods. And they write of this incredible beauty in Asia, the biodiversity, but it's alongside such extreme weather conditions 
and deforestation and, and man's destruction and pollution. We live in a time of crisis. I think the UN stated that humanity is waging war on nature. And I think man, as, as, as people, we find it easier almost to control nature than control ourselves. But you know, being a true Christian community reverses this. Because in caring for creation, in caring for our environment, we're actually bringing God the glory. Because God made it, and he takes delight in it. That's why he said it was good. Good means I love this, I'm enjoying it. And God is saying, I'm entrusting you with my creation. Um, the verses that were hinted at in this first song, Indescribable, they're actually, I think, taken from Job chapter 38, where God is questioning Job. I don't know if you know that. And it is a phenom phenomenal uh, passage. Read it later. He says, I'm the owner. I'm the maker of the mountains and the seas and the hail and the storm and the wild beasts. And then he says to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Where were you when the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Do you know, creation worships its maker. And the world around us should lead us to that sense of wonder and praise. All the heavens declare God's glory, David says in Psalm 19. Their voices, creation's voice, tells us there's a God and invites us to worship him. Creation is speaking in worship. And we are stewards. When the waterfall is babbling, we are to make sure the waterfall can still babble. And the trees can still clap their hands. Christianity reminds us of our responsibility and gives us a voice to join in what creation is already singing. It's like creation saying, come on, catch up with the song. The song of covenant relationship that God has made with nature. God made it ex nihilo, from nothing. Ex nihilo, he created. That word is only ever used of God because nobody else can make anything from nothing. And God made everything and gave it shape and texture and color and breathed life into it. God gave creation its own existence, its own value. He placed its value on creation. And deep down, we know that. And we're drawn into awe when we see the sunset, aren't we? We long to be part of what nature's already doing. We had a, a friend stay over last night, and she's not sleeping well at the moment. And she says she often gets up at five o'clock and sits and listens to the dawn chorus. Because it heals her. I thought, that's amazing, isn't it? That God is being praised by creation all around the world, by every living creature. And it heals us. And yet we so often do it harm and we seek to dominate it. Charlie and I were struck. We did a couple of little trips recently. One was to Paris and one was to Paynes Hill up the A3. Um, and Par we went to Paris because our son was running the Paris Marathon. So we went to cheer him on. And around Paris, it's quite in interesting. They have square trees and triangular bushes. Everything is very neat and tidy and trim and in these, in these set shapes. And um, we were told that it was because Parisian society used to say that man has got to dominate nature, got to control nature. 
And, you know, we like a neat garden, don't we? But really, this was quite something else. We went to Payne's Hill and it was completely different. Don't know if any of you have been to Payne's Hill, but it's beautiful. There's walks around the lake and there's little woodland bits. And it's work, it's man working in harmony. I thought, this is what it should be like. This is what the garden should be like. Working with all that God has done. Nature sings of God's covenant relationship because he is their maker. He clothes the flowers of the field and he knows every sparrow that drops to the ground. And the gospel gives us hope and reassurance that it is good news for creation as well. God is redeeming creation. Christ himself became matter. He made matter and he became matter. And the cross of Christ undoes everything that is broken in Genesis. God filled the world and Christ emptied himself. The spirit hovered over the world and Christ gave up his spirit. Christ was deconstructed that we could be reconstructed. No longer under condemnation. And we're called to care for God's handiwork and his creation and his delight. So enjoy it. Enjoy creation. Jesus used to love to go out and pray on the mountainside, walk by the, the lake, go through the grain fields, enjoy creation. He made water turn to wine for the celebration, didn't he? He multiplied the fish, enjoy creation. Learn from it. Jesus often used creation, didn't he, in his parables, in his teaching. Learn from creation. In the Old Testament, Solomon says, look at the ant, go to the creatures and learn from them, get wisdom from them and take care of it. Enjoy it, learn from it and take care of it. Right from the beginning, God set this pattern of, yes, you work the land, yes, you, you yield your crops from the land, but yes, you give it a fallow period, a jubilee, time to rest. God cares for the sparrows and the flowers. He's interested in the death of a sparrow as well as the extinction of a species, and so should we. So that's the first promise, a promise of relationship with all creation that we are drawn into. Second is a covenant relationship with all people, down through, a dance through every generation. Right from the start, we see that God commits to Noah and to Noah's sons, and to all future generations. God's covenant is for all of life, for all ages, all genders, all races, regardless of status, regardless of education, regardless of wealth. God makes no exceptions. His covenant is with all people in all generations. Indian, American, Eskimo, European, wherever. His heart of grace and justice is, is for all people. And we are to honour all people. He's made a world where we're to live and work in harmony as each generation succeeds each generation. And when we do work in harmony and not in harm with our neighbours, we will experience this, this shalom, this peace, this webbing together of how God has made it work, work well when we work together. We know that people are valuable to God, don't we? We know that... People are made in his image, and yet sometimes we find it so hard. I think we live in a generation that's very much about us. It's the generation of the selfie. It's about, about me. It's about my convenience. It's a throwaway society. Instead of living out of the grace of God and not seeking our own satisfaction. And sadly, 
we have a, a brokenness that we've inherited from the generations in the past. Let's take on the mantle and ensure that the generations in the future don't continue to inherit this. God calls us to remember that he has made a covenant for perpetual generations. And his, this promise is to us and to our children. And he sets the, the bow in the sky. God knows that we're fickle and that we will forget. And actually throughout the Bible, God is constantly saying, remember, remember, remember me. Remember it's from me. Remember your blessings come from me. Remember your salvation comes from me. Remember me. I was struck the other day by the story of the Israelites going through the River Jordan. Do you remember? And God says, pick up 12 stones and put them as a monument to remind you of what I've done and to remind your children in future generations. And I think this is a really good idea of having something that might be quite symbolic for you that will remind you to think and pray uh, about the future generations. I have this uh, pine cone here. It's one of the little uh, tokens that reminds me of some women in Germany. Reminds me to pray for them. I went and spoke uh, to a group in Germany five years ago and I picked it up. I thought, I'm going to remember these women and I'm going to pray for them. So maybe there's some, a token or something that you could think about that would help you to remember. God says, you are servants of each other and of your neighborhood. Remember each other. Yes, we are strangers and pilgrims. Yes, we're passing through this world. But you know what? We're also rooted and we're also responsible to pass on good things to our neighbors. And this is our neighbors, not just the ones down the road, but also the ones in Ukraine and the ones that are hit by the hurricanes. We're really privileged. Um, at this last week, we've got a, a Ukrainian family come and live with us. I picked them up on Thursday from Luton Airport. And a, a, a single mum and her two little girls from Odessa. And God calls us. Now, not everyone, not all of us can do that. We haven't all got a spare room. But we are all called to think, well, how can I pray? And how can I give? And how can I love? And how can I share the hope of Jesus Christ to my neighbors? We're going to have a little time at the end just to think about that. I'm going to give you some time. So we've had enjoy creation and take care of it. Enjoy the generations, the broad spectrum of God's people. Look out for your neighbors as you look out for yourself. And thirdly, the third relationship that God draws us into, and finally, uh, is this very, very personal oneness. God blessed Noah. God covenanted with Noah. God knows you inside out, upside down. No one else can fulfill you. No one else can settle you. No one else can establish you. God took Noah out of danger and he blessed him. And no one else is going to extend the same sort of grace to you that you need every, well, that I need every moment of my life. I'm sure you agree. This is a covenant relationship with the Lord of all the earth. And this is not because we are worthy. This is because God is good and he delights in you. God desires a relationship with you. Not just a casual friendship, but a solid, dependable, faithful, life-giving relationship with you. And every bit of you, the secret bits of you, as well as the public bits of you. 
you're his delight. And his grace to you is not dependent on your achieving. It's not dependent on your heart towards him. It's dependent on his heart towards you. Because grace is God's favor to you. Grace is letting you into a place that you don't have the right to be. Noah was led into a new world and God covenanted with him to protect him, whatever was to come. And actually, a few verses on from our reading, Noah gets very, very drunk. He messes up and acts quite indiscreetly. And yet, God covenants. God covenants, God promises. This is about God's love for you, his desire of you, his grace for you. And he keeps that rainbow in the, in the sky to remind himself and to remind us that he is faithful. I wonder if you've received the grace of God. Do you know him as your certain help? My parents were missionaries and I often uh, was, was left with family or, or guardians. And on one occasion, my mum had to go back to Africa and she gave me a psalm and it's become my favorite psalm. And it's Psalm 121, and it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord. Does your help come from him? We might better help you. The government might better help you, but God is your certain help. God provides grace for all who will accept him. That ark was a refuge, and it pointed to the lasting refuge found in Jesus Christ. Because Christ has committed himself in love to you, if you will accept him. All covenants are fulfilled in Christ. He's the climax. He's the obedient Israel, Israelites. He fulfills the law. And he welcomes you into his refuge and out into new beginnings. And he will establish you. He has succeeded in every way where Adam and you and I fail. He undoes all the damage that Adam has done. In the Garden of Eden, Adam hid. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stood up and said, I'm here. Well, who are you looking for, Jesus? This is me. In the Garden of Eden, Adam pointed the finger at Eve. And Jesus is silent and takes the judgment and the scourging, and is hung in the sky for you. The place of weeping, that place of prayer, the Garden of Gethsemane, becomes the garden tomb, the place of resurrection. Paradise has been found again. Paradise is redeemed. So all of these three relationships are, are, are there for you. You're called into this dance. And all three relationships will be damaged by sin and our selfishness. But God has put away his bow of war and he has hung a rainbow in the sky. A rainbow pointing to the gospel of Jesus. The rainbow isn't about gay rights and it's not about our wonderful NHS. It's actually about God's big heart for you and his promise to you of grace. And it's a reminder to look up. The rainbow really basically gives you the gospel. Because, you see, you only get a rainbow when the sun and the storm meet. You don't find a rainbow in a clear sky, do you? The rainbow is only there when there is a storm. And when we face our need and our sin, 
Then we will experience the rainbow of God's protection and salvation. God has hung up the warrior's bow, and the bow he now takes is pointing away from us. It's pointing up to God, because God has taken the storm of your sin. The bow has pierced his own son. And when you see the rainbow, you know that Jesus has gone into the storm for you. And it is also a thing of beauty, isn't it? Lighting up the sky to remind you of God's comfort and his faithfulness, even in that beautiful spectrum of colours. I was uh, reading this old hymn the other day by William Cooper, and I'm going to finish on this. Uh, William was a, a troubled man. He lost his mother when he was uh, very young, and he was very uh, emotionally troubled. But, you know, he writes of God's sovereign grace covering all of his life. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Friends, no good purpose that God has for you and for the next generation and for all of creation. No good purpose will be left undone. We walk in a covenant mercy. Reconciliation with God. Reconciliation with each other. Reconciliation with creation. God is still in the business of reconciling. And I'm going to just invite you. I think uh, I'm, I'm learning at the moment. God's teaching me that it's good to take time to reflect and to wait on him. And so I think I've got three little things that maybe you could think about from what we've been, we've been looking at this morning. And I want to give you a few moments of reflection. Um, have you stepped into the boat, the refuge, Christ? Have you accepted his salvation? Step in to that place of safety. Step out into new beginnings. Where's God calling you? And step up in your relationships with God, with each other, and with creation. And I think we've got some pieces of paper, if that's okay, Andy. Um, if you want to jot anything down, and just, just ask God where he wants you to step in, to step out into newness and step up in your relationships. So just spend a few moments um, of quiet reflection doing that. And then I will finish with a prayer. <clears throat>